thoughts and not my thoughts. Lord, I pray over every person here, Lord, that, that their hearts and spirits would be open to hearing what your Holy Spirit would say to them. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we left off and we were talking about what the Bible says in regards to human sexuality. I thought about with the kids who are in service this morning, you say, well, should they be hearing this stuff? Let me tell you, they're being told an entirely different story outside the church. They're being told an entirely different story on what they watch on TV and what they see in the commercials and what's displayed in the media and what's displayed in their classrooms. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. It says this, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Go to the next slide. It says this, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. In case you're wondering... It is contrary to nature. It is contrary to what God intended. It is this, that men likewise also gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That due penalty, of course, would be disease and depravity. I will say this, just because certain sins are considered acceptable by culture doesn't make it less destructive than it is, right? But listen to this, it's not about, we talked about this last week, it's not about hate speech. We want people to know that we love them. We want people to know that our compassion for them drives us to lead them towards righteousness. We want to lead them towards God's love. Amen? We should practice the love of God in directing them so that they may live in righteousness and not confusion. To live in righteousness and not confusion. Why? Because what they're doing is contrary to nature. If we took just the spiritual aspect out of it and just put the physiological aspect into it, it's just contrary to what's natural. Do you know what I'm saying? They Listen, they may not listen. They may reject you, but it's our job to listen lovingly, lovingly direct them towards the truth of God's Word. Paul then goes into a list of things that are also unrighteous. And I want to say this is not a comprehensive list by any means, but it includes a lot of different sins. And it says this, go to the next slide. It says, and since they did not see to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Children, are you here this morning? Don't be disobedient to your parents, right? Right, Eli? (laughs) I love this kid. 
He gets so embarrassed. He gets embarrassed so easily. I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass him. You don't want to be. You don't know what disobedient means. Later. That's all right. <laughs> Some of these people are foolish. They're faithless. They're heartless and they're ruthless. Modern Christians should have this understanding. Modern Christians should have the understanding of this. When people commit these sins, it's showing us that they do not acknowledge God in their lives. That's a tough thing to hear. Or maybe it's showing us that they acknowledge God in parts of their lives, but they leave other parts just to themselves. How many know what I'm talking about? Those are, those are the rooms where we say, God, you're welcome into our house, but just stay in the kitchen. God, you're welcome into our living room, but, but don't go in the bedroom. Come on. There's times where we, we give some things to God and we hold things back for ourselves. Modern Christians need to have an understanding that the people who are committing these sins are not giving their lives fully over to God. There's simply maturity that needs to happen. In this age of grace, God, who is writing the letter through the Apostle Paul, makes it clear what those who practice this kind of evil deserve. Go to the next slide. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things, listen to this, they deserve to die. They not only do them, but listen to this, but those who give approval to those who practice them. Not just the people who commit the sins, but the people who approve the sins they're committing. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? People read that and say, whoa, hold on a second, Pastor, they they deserve to die? They deserve to die? What about grace? Pastor David, what about grace? Grace is not an excuse to sin. Amen? Amen? Grace is what God gives us to drive us away from unrighteousness. Not wallow in unrighteousness and use it as a free pass. Come on. The kicker is this. It's not just those who commit the sins. (laughs) It's those who give approval to the people who are practicing them. If this doesn't hit us where we stand, I don't know what does. This hits us directly where we stand. We live in this age and culture of tolerance and acceptance. I would say this, God is not a tolerant God. There is a standard. There is a standard of righteousness. But I'll say this, we live in this culture, but... It's not loving. Listen, if we want to operate in love, it's not loving to openly embrace something that is destroying somebody's soul. Amen? It is not loving to openly embrace that which is destroying somebody's body and soul. It's not loving to approve of lifestyles that are leading to destruction. That's not loving. That's just going along with the culture. Now, and, and don't, I'm not talking about just homosexuality. That's a part of it for sure. But that's, that, that's not what we're talking about all the time. See, nowadays, unrighteousness is celebrated by those both outside the church as well as those inside the church. 
unrighteousness is celebrated. Remember this, though. Remember, you have to remember this. I said this last week at the beginning of the sermon. If we first acknowledge one simple truth, that God only speaks truth. Amen? That God is good. He's only good. He's good all the time. And He only speaks truth. If we believe that God only speaks truth, then we can't ignore what's right in front of us. We can't ignore what's right in front of us. We can't just wave it to the side because culture says it's fine and our feelings say that it's right. Well, no, no, Pastor David, my feelings say that it's right. I'm good with it. I'm okay with it. I've come around. Some Someone once said to me, uh, we were having a discussion and he said, I just want to make sure I'm on the right side of history. You may be on the right side of history, but you're on the wrong side of God. The textbooks in our children's classrooms are going to reflect this sexual revolution for LGBT rights and all the other things that come along with it. It will be in their textbooks. It will be, you will hear about the marches. You will hear about, uh, I've already actually seen the different textbooks that are out there as far as what's being told about the recent election. And it's incredible to see just how it shifts towards whatever viewpoint the culture goes towards. You may say, Pastor David, go, go, go back to the uh, last slide. You got, I mean, you can see there's murder and envy and strife and deceit and covetousness and evil and unrighteousness and insolence and they're haughty, they're boastful, they're inventors of evil. How many can, how many can understand? Yeah, that, that's pretty bad. I mean, those are some bad, that's a bad list. We don't want to be on that list, do we? No? How many want to be on that list? We'll pray for you right now. Come on. We don't want to be on that list. You, you say, well, Pastor David, I can see how some of these are evil. I can see how some of these are bad. I can see how a few of these are wrong, but I don't think all of them are wrong. I don't think all of them are wrong. Now, I, I know, I know there's people who, 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 of course, they would see murder is wrong. They would see haters of God is wrong, but they got no problem with this one right here. They got no issue with this one right here. They got, they got no issue with this one right here, and they have no issue with this one right here, and they may have an issue with this one, but the, I, I'm okay on the others. I feel some of them are wrong, but, but I don't think all of them are wrong. You know, when our feeling and culture doesn't line up with God's Word, it's not because God's Word is wrong. When our feelings and culture don't line up with God's Word, it's because our thinking is wrong. It's because we need to repent. And we need to come back to godly thinking. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're responding. We need to come back to godly thinking. We need to come to a place of repentance. And you say, Pastor David, this is a kind of a tough word. I'm not going to apologize for that. This is one of those steel toe boots messages. Amen? Why? Because we all got stuff to deal with. 
We all got stuff. We all, we all got stuff we got to put in line, right? We want to live in righteousness, not unrighteousness. And that's the purpose of Paul writing this. The purpose of Paul writing this is to, to show us what Christ has saved us from. This is good news. This is good news. This is what Christ has saved us from. We don't have to live in unrighteousness. How many know that's the good news of the gospel? We don't have to live in unrighteousness. We can be freed from that which leads to death. We can live in righteousness with God, and that's what we can celebrate, amen? We should be able to celebrate that. Lord, thank you for the grace that I can get away from these things. Romans doesn't pull any punches. I like that. I like it speaks God's truth clearly. And it's not always comfortable. I understand that. But it's true. And for that, we should be grateful. Amen? It would seem strange to some that Paul lists these sins that are obviously wrong. These are obviously wrong things. It's a reiteration of what's already known to be true. There are no questions about whether or not murder was wrong. There's no questions about whether or not homosexuality was wrong. We, everybody saw it was contrary to nature. They just did what they wanted anyway. There's no questions. It's only in modern times that now we're looking and going and just, just fully embracing it. Fully embracing these things. We're fully embracing envy and gossip and materialism. Not to where it goes off the deep end, but, but we have to get our lives in priority. Amen? Amen? Throughout history, all of these things clearly were unrighteous. But now, in chapter 2, Paul addresses, and listen to this, he warns those who judge. We're going to get in some interesting stuff here. Go to the next slide. Go to the next one, sorry. It says this, Romans 2, chapter one, or 2 verses 1-3, through three, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges. How many ever judged someone before? A bunch of liars, lift your hands up. Come on. How many ever judge? You're just, some people are judging me right now. <laughs> Come on, Steve. Steve, are you judging me right now, man? No, sir. No? You probably should. It says this. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now listen carefully to this. I want you to listen to this very carefully because we're going to get into some really cool points here. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? I want, I, want to, I want to point something out here in case you didn't, didn't realize this. The issue isn't with judging. The issue isn't that people are being judged. In fact, a lot of times, you know, people will use this as their way out. People will use this as their out. They'll say, it's their way of sidestepping, confronting somebody because of their sin. It's their way of sidestepping. They just go, well, you know, Pastor David, the Bible says we shouldn't judge. Right? That's what people say, but Pastor David, you know, the Bible says we shouldn't judge. We just, we just, we just gotta love them. And so I'm not, I don't want to interfere. 
It's their life and not mine. And so we say, don't judge. Are you sure that's what the Bible says? Does the Bible say don't judge? Or is that just what we've been told our whole lives? Is that just what we've been taught our whole lives? Because people say, well, you know, we're not supposed to judge people, the Bible says. Now, just to avoid any confusion here, because I can see there's some confused looks. Carol's like, are you saying I shouldn't judge people? Are you, or, or, or Carol's saying, or am I okay with what I've been doing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Carol. Just to avoid any confusion here, let's look not at what we think about it, but what does the Bible say about it? Amen? Most famous verse about judging is what? Perfect, Dave Soper. Somebody get him a can of pop or some sort of prize or something. Come on. <laughs> hey, Brittany's got a can of pop right there. Perfect. Matthew 7, 1 through 3. It says this. Judge not that you will not be judged. See, Pastor David is right there. Pastor David, it's right there. Judge not that you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How many are ready to get into it? See, right there, Pastor David, judge not that you won't be judged. Judge not lest you be judged, right? But are you reading this in context? Because if you look carefully, this verse lines up perfectly with Romans 2. This verse lines up perfectly with Romans 2. It isn't saying don't judge. What it's saying is you shouldn't judge someone who is struggling with the very same thing you are. Amen? It says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? It's not saying don't judge, and I'm going to get more into that in just a second. What is What does this mean in today's context? What does this mean in today's context? Let's say a person has a problem with alcohol, but keeps it secret. How many ever known someone like that? They have a problem with alcohol, but they keep it secret. And then he runs into a person that's in a public place, and they're, and they're drinking a beer. And the person just goes after him. Goes after him, says, he's judging him, he's telling him that, that drinking is wrong and he should stop it now. This person who has a secret problem with drinking is telling somebody else who's doing this in public that he needs to get right. He's pointing out the speck in his brother's eye when he has a log in his own. And this is the type of judging that the Bible is clearly against. Amen? But, It's not wrong to judge somebody, hear me clearly, as long as you make sure you're doing it in the correct way. You say, Pastor David, what's the correct way? There's some people here right now, Carol's saying, please tell me, what's the correct way? I'm picking on Carol a little, it's all right. I can pick on Kay a little over here too. What's the correct way? John 7.24 says this, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. 
The Bible doesn't say don't judge. It says judge not but with righteous judgment. Jesus spoke these words to people that were seeking to kill him. It says don't judge based on appearance. Judge me with right judgment. But, but Pastor David, what does right judgment look like? I mean, if we're gonna, if you're saying it's okay for us to judge, but only with righteous judgment, then what does that righteous judgment look like? First of all, it's this. It's done by love. Not by appearance. Somebody say amen. How many ever seen somebody who just looks chaotic and messed up on the outside? I mean, honestly, we, we see people and we just go, oh my goodness, what must they be going through? The person who looks completely messed up on the outside might be going through chaos and turmoil in their home life that we have no idea about. That we just have no idea about. The question isn't, are we judging them, but are we judging them rightly? The question, you know, they're going through a kind of hurt and depravity in their, in their private lives that most people don't want to think about, let about, let alone talk about. And so they have this appearance on the outside that, that maybe, maybe someone's struggling with addiction. And there's somebody that's struggling with addiction, and so we, we judge them and say, man, they're struggling with addiction, I don't want to be around them, or, or man, they just need all the help in the world, or, and, and maybe I'll get somebody else to help them, because I don't want to be around them. Maybe that person struggling with addiction is in truth just trying to escape for a moment from their horrible pain in their life, and doesn't need you to judge them from the outside. Amen? But they need, they need you to judge them with righteous judgment. That means getting to know their pain, helping them through their struggles, rather than rejecting them outright based on what you see on the surface. Sometimes we don't always see what's there. We see the facade, we see the mask, we see what they want us to see. But there are people who are struggling and the struggle is real and the pain is real and the pain is deep and it's only by getting down and deep and digging down to that pain with them that you can help. We want to judge with righteous judgment. It means guiding them with love towards a Redeemer and a Healer called Christ Jesus. Amen? We want to guide them with love. Righteous judgment requires that you dig deeper. Righteous judgment requires that you love them even when they reject you. Because it will happen. Righteous judgment doesn't speak to their sin when you're going through the same thing in secret. This is what Jesus spoke about. That's what Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 2. He then says this in verses 4 and 5. He says this, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul here is speaking to those who continue to live in unrighteousness because God's wrath hasn't come on them yet. How many know someone like that? God's wrath hasn't come on me yet. I must be good. I mean, I haven't, he hasn't struck me down yet. I just keep living how I'm living. There's people who, who live that way. They consider themselves to be morally superior. 
And they continue to justify their sin because they haven't faced judgment. How many have ever heard the story of the man who, who walked out in the rain and he wanted to disprove God? So he walked out in the rain in the middle of a lightning storm and he said, God, if you're real, you will strike me dead. And lightning came down and struck about five feet from him. And he looked around and he said, see, I told you God wasn't real. And another man looked at him and said, no, no, you missed it. You didn't just see God's judgment. You saw God's grace. God's grace. What people fail to understand is the reason they haven't received judgment from God is because of His goodness. Amen? It's His kindness. It's His patience that staves off the wrath. Instead of understanding His goodness, they continue to sin. And in doing so, the Bible says that they are storing up more and more wrath that will eventually come. They're storing up more and more wrath. Some people would say, well, once things get bad enough, God will drive me to repentance. Once, once things get bad enough, God will drive me to repentance. It, it's what they're counting on. Once things get bad enough, then I'll get things right with God. God will drive me to repentance. How many, how many would say that there, there's things just got bad enough in your life and it, and it drove you to repentance? Some people would say, oh, I just, I just had a bad stuff happen in my life. And, but here's the thing. It's only, God doesn't drive us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen? It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Once, how many, how many know there's some times where we have tried everything? We just exhaust everything trying to make it on our own. We exhaust everything trying to make it on our own. And, and, and when we're exhausted, we see the goodness of God that is still showing us grace and mercy. And it leads us to repentance. I like what one commentary says. It says this, The sweetest and best repentance is that which comes not from by driving, but by drawing. Because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Another commentary says this, As men treasure up the, as men treasure up the wrath of God against them, what holds back the flood of wrath? What holds back the flood of wrath? That which holds back the wrath, the flood of wrath is God Himself. He holds it back out of His forbearance and long-suffering and patience. The figure is that of a load that God bears with men heaping up more and more upon it, making it heavier and heavier. The wonder is why God would lift it up for even a day. And yet He holds up all its weight and does not let it crash down on the sinner's head. How good is it to know that we don't get punished with everything we deserve? Come on. How good is it to know that we don't get punished with everything we deserve? Because I tell you what, I would be in trouble. Right, Steve? You know. Come on, I know there's a lot of holy people here, Steve. But there's a few of us that would just be in some trouble. It's the grace of God. 
But, but, but I want to warn some of you who think that this is some sort of pass. It's not. There is a day coming when His goodness, in His goodness, He comes to take His own. Amen? There's a day coming when He comes to take His own and the wrath that has been held back will flood the earth. The wrath that has been held back will flood the earth and everybody that's in it. And I don't know when that day is going to come. I know there's people that say they know the day and the time. They, they list a specific date on when Christ is going to return. I'm not going to do that. May 5th, 2018. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Everybody starts leaving right now. <laughs> I don't know when the day is going to come. I don't know when the day is going to come, but I do know this. I know the days are getting darker and that the time for grace is getting shorter. Amen? The time is now to see the goodness of God and let it lead you to repentance. Paul speaks to to those who believe they are morally superior. He says this, go to the next slide. He will render to each one according to his works. This is God will render to each one according to his works. To those who do, who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. This is some heavy stuff. This is some dark stuff. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does the good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. This paints a dark picture of those who engage in evil. This paints a dark picture for those who engage in self-seeking. It's wrath and fury and tribulation and distress. Paul warns us and them away from those things. This is the goodness, the gospel. This is the goodness of God that says, no, no, stay away from these things. And then Paul does this. He goes into mainly speaking to the Jews within the church. The the next few verses, it's mainly written to the Jews, and it's because of this. The Jews throughout history have been seen at times as morally superior because they have the law. And so they would look down upon those who were non-Jewish, or what we would call Gentiles. They would look at them as less than because they didn't have the law and, and the Jews had the law and, and so they were, they were higher than. Verse 12 through 24, this is a long one, but it says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will make, who will be justified. For when Gentiles, listen to this, who do not have the law, but by nature they do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Paul brings us another answer to those who may have never heard the word of God. There are people, Mike, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. What about people who never hear the word of God? 
Last week we talked about God making himself known in creation. And this week we see that there are those who never had the law, but it was written on their hearts. Their conscience bore witness to it. I like what one commentary says. It says this, People who have never heard God's word still have a moral compass that they are accountable to. They never had a chance to hear God's word. They're still accountable to a moral compass. And so God reveals himself to those who may not have an opportunity to hear from him. Or maybe God is calling you to go and speak to those who have never had an opportunity to hear the word of God. Amen? Maybe God is calling you to the mission field. Maybe God is calling you to go to go preach to the pygmies who have never heard the word of God or whatever it would be. And so then, now you are responsible for doing what God has called you to do so that you can lead them to Christ. Go to the next slide. It says this, continues here, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. I like what this says. This is speaking to some of the righteous Jewish people there. If you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, I like I like that language. So some people are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Paul is speaking here to the Jew and he says, truly there are some of you who are a guide to the blind, who are a light to those who are in darkness. But there are some of you who act like you have it all together, but you're not teaching yourself. And then it says this, go to the next slide, it says this, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Somebody say, ouch. Paul here points towards unrighteous judgment. The Jews were preaching one thing and and doing another. How many ever know somebody like that? They were preaching one thing and doing another. The non-Jews saw this and in turn they had no regard for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had no regard for him. And this points us to a distinct truth. This points us to a very distinctive truth. Are you listening this morning? Are we living and speaking the same narrative? Are we living and speaking the same narrative? Do people around you hear one thing from your lips, but see another thing from your lifestyle? Do people around you hear one thing from your lips, but see another thing from your lifestyle? If you're the only Jesus that people will ever see, are you guilty of having his name blasphemed among them? That's a tough thing. Will knows what I'm talking about. 
It's all right. I love that kid. He's cool. Here's the thing. This is a hard message. It's a hard, it's a tough message. Paul just speaks really clearly to us. He, he speaks plainly to those then and those now. He says this, live righteously. If you're going to judge, judge righteously. Be guided by righteous love. Don't live in hypocrisy. That's what he says. Amen? Next week, uh, in two weeks, we're actually going to... Three weeks, sorry. Three weeks, we're going to pick up in this series. And we're going to talk about circumcision of the Jew and what it has to do with the circumcision of our hearts. Where God is going to show you some really cool things about not only how we grafted into the faith of Abraham. And we were talking, uh, John Sprecher was talking about this a little bit on Wednesday night. How many were here for Wednesday night? How many enjoyed that? It was really good. It had really great material. If you will stand with me this morning. Um, if you could also just keep my family in prayer. Um, for those of, for those of you who have been keeping my family in prayer the last couple weeks anyway, um, I'd been home alone with the kids. So that meant the kids suffered a lot. <laughs> and, uh, if we could have the ushers come forward, because I was just reminded. <laughs> if we could have the ushers come forward, let's get our offerings ready, amen? Let's get our offerings ready to give for the, give to the Lord. Um, but please keep my family in prayer. I'm going to be leaving right directly after service today. I'm driving up to Canada. Um, I have a conference to be at throughout the week. And then next week, uh, there's going to be a word brought uh, for you to, to be blessed by. Amen? Amen. 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 Lord, I thank you and praise you for... Those who are here this morning, those who are listening to this message, Lord, I pray that you would guide us towards righteousness in our lives. Lord, I pray over this offering. Lord, I pray that each, each cent and dollar that comes in is used for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you and praise you for those who give, that you would bless them and keep them. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. Ushers, you may take the, uh, take the offering and I'm, we're gonna, we're gonna wait together. Because what will happen is everybody will just start taking off. So don't, don't leave before I pray a prayer of blessing over you. People say, Pastor David, you always pray the same thing at the end of service. Why do you always pray the same thing? Because I want to bless you. We're getting there. How many are enjoying this weather? It's supposed to be 76 tomorrow. Susie, thank you for bringing it back from Texas. We sure appreciate it. I hope I don't bring a, a winter storm back from Canada. That'd be, I know. <laughs> that would be something. All right. Let's, uh, let's just bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much for this time you've given us today. Lord, I pray over those in this church, Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, that you would keep them. God, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. Lord, we thank you and praise you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. And we will see you next week.